All right, good morning, everyone. This is Mark Molina, CEO, Molina Leadership and Business Development Solutions. This morning, we are going to be interviewing Merlin Howe, Director of Lane Regional Protection Agency, or otherwise known as El Rapa. And we have with us as well, Misty Frost, who's a community organizer and activist around the issues of climate change and pollution. She's also a board member for El Rapa, but she's not here in that capacity. She's here to speak about her, uh, her participation in this area, this movement. And I've asked them to be with me today because we have seen for ourselves now with our eyes, not just in our community, but in the world, the positive effects of rapid decrease of pollution of 50% or more in many major cities and geographical regions, just uh, the Himalayas, now they are, they are seen once again from below uh, in the streets of their cities there because there has been a lot less pollution. And I've asked them here today because I believe we have a responsibility to be stewards of, of our, not just our society, but our natural resources and, and what that means long-term for the earth that we have. So with that being said, Merlin, welcome. Misty, welcome. Uh, thank you for your willingness to, to have a conversation with me today. Thank you both very much. Uh, Merlin has been in this line of work since 1976. He has years of experience and expertise. He has been in charge of Alrapa since 2005. Uh, Misty has been in, involved and concerned about the climate since she was 12 years old as a member of Greenpeace and the Jacques Cousteau Society. She says her most important role though is that of a mom. And this is why she is highly involved in the preservation of our natural resources and the capacity that she serves. So let's start Merlin with you. Just give an introduction to those that will be listening who, who do not know you. Okay, I, uh, as uh, you mentioned, I've been involved uh, in this field for, for a long period of time, some other environmental work besides, but primarily air pollution control uh, over the years. And uh, it's really been a, a privilege to uh, work at El Rapa for the last uh, 15 years or so as a director there. Very good. Uh, Misty, let's tell, tell our viewers and listeners something about yourself. Well, something about myself. Um, I'm a full-time student at the University of Oregon, and I'm studying uh, environmental studies. Hopefully we'll graduate soon. Uh, my father is an enrolled member of the Crow Tribe of Montana, and my mom is a longtime activist, so I think I just naturally fell into uh, activism as um, something that was very important to be uh, involved in, in my community. And if anybody's oppressed, then I feel oppressed. So I definitely take those things seriously. Very Thanks good. for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I, I would like to also add that uh, Felicity has gone through a three-day training on climate reality, uh, sponsored by former Vice President Al Gore. And I, since I've known Misty, she's been very concerned about environmental justice and environmental causes. And I've asked the both of you today, I, I, I am not an anti-fossil fuel guy, but 
that doesn't mean I'm, uh, I, but I do believe, and I don't necessarily understand what it means to, what's the best way to be a positive steward of our natural resources. I believe there's ways we can do that by increasing efficiency of anything that burns a fossil fuel. But what has really shaken what I believe is seeing all these photos from all over the world of how the natural state of things is being restored with the change of the limited use of fossil fuels. Maybe it's due to a limit, limited movement, but that notwithstanding, I have been shocked and even pleased at seeing this restored balance of nature, nature coming back into major cities, I've seen pictures of Venice with the jellyfish and the fish and dolphins and all of this natural balance coming back into play. And I think if now's the time if we're learning anything, and we're learning a lot about a lot of different things in this time of pandemic. What can we do to stay on this trend? What can we do to have good, healthy conversations? People can say, this science is bad or that science is bad. What no one can deny is a high quality change of what's taking place in our local environments with the reduction of pollution from, from 30 to 50% and in some cases more. And so I'd like to talk to both of you because you, you both are experts and you're both very involved in these areas. Uh, Merlin, I guess we'll start with you. You've been at it since 1976. What are some of your observations? And what are some of uh, these outcomes do you think we can continue to improve on? Well, uh, transportation is a, a significant part of different, different pollutant problems that we have. And so what we, we are seeing right now is dramatic reduction in, in traffic. And so that's reducing uh, a lot of the different pollutants, whether it's uh, from diesel, uh, diesel trucks or uh, gasoline cars. Uh, a lot of uh, reduction. What I like, I like to do though, just to kind of set the stage, if I could take a minute, Mark, is just there's kind of three three different pollutant problems uh, that uh, have, and, and it's been it's somewhat chronological. Uh, when you look back 50 years ago with the first Clean Air Act in the U.S., the uh, the focus was on six common pollutants, what they're called criteria pollutants, things like uh, particulate matter, uh, ozone carbon monoxide, uh, lead, sulfur dioxide, and uh, uh, nitrogen oxide. So those, those things were uh, the six that were the focus back then. Then in 1990, uh, a major new systematic approach was on air toxics. Mm -hmm. And that's continued until the, uh, the present day as well. And then there's uh, only since about 2007, 8, 9, have, has there been uh, a more focus on uh, climate change, uh, greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide. And that was a result of a Supreme Court decision uh, during that time period, and then uh, uh, Environmental Protection Agency coming up with an endangerment finding that allowed um, EPA and the states and local agencies to regulate uh, greenhouse gases under the Clean Air Act. But that, that chronology, um, back when I started, just to kind of illustrate in uh, in the 70s, down in Medford in Southern Oregon, 
that area violated air the national air quality health standards over half the days of the year for either uh, ozone or carbon monoxide from automobiles uh, in areas of traffic congestion and particulate matter from a, a wide variety of sources, but uh, homewood heating, wood products industry. Mm -hmm. So half the days of the year violated those standards. And uh, on the worst days, it was over twice that, uh, that health standard. And uh, by 1992, three, four, the, the area was meeting standards for all of those uh, uh, common air pollutants called criteria pollutants. Um, uh, back then, uh, automobiles, the, the primary focus was on carbon monoxide and ozone. And uh, we were uh, hopeful at that in that time period that we'd see more electric cars. We knew there was a lot of development going on, and we were hoping that the future would have uh, more electric vehicles because uh, in those areas of heavy traffic con congestion, that would be you know, basically zero emissions in those areas. Uh, in, where the power is generated, there could be, if it's not from renewables, there would be a, a pollution in a, a more distant location. Um, so, you know, transportation was the focus then. Now, uh, transportation now, it's uh, a, a lot of the air toxics like benzene that we're exposed to are from gasoline cars. A lot of things like uh, diesel particulate matter or uh, naphthalene come from uh, diesel, diesel trucks. And uh, so I am optimistic with now, it looks very promising with the, uh, the wide availability of uh, electric cars and more affordable electric cars, that that's gonna be uh, producing results like what we're seeing right now, but on a more consistent basis into the future years. So um, anyway, just to kind of set the stage, I may come back and visit those three different areas when we're talking about different, uh, different pollutant problems. Misty, would you like to add to that? Oh, well, just I think um, from an activist uh, point of view, um, when I was at the climate reality uh, training with Al, Al Gore's team, uh, I was shocked to uh, find out that uh, personal vehicles, um, our cars, are a major contributor to uh, carbon monoxide and mm -hmm. pollutants. So, because uh, I, you know, kind of, when you see the smokestacks and, you know, the big bellowing clouds coming out of the factories, or you're like, oh, that's easy to point at and say that that's like the number one problem. Uh, and that it's too big for us to change anything. Mm -hmm. You know, me as an individual, I can't go up to, you know, Exxon Mobil or you know it would be like shut down please I don't like what you're doing but uh, I just uh, knowing that if all of we the little people take advantage of uh, electric cars and cleaner ways of transport getting ourselves around um, that we really can have a major impact uh, on our climate and um, another thing uh, I wanted to throw out there um, is that there's there's a big movement right now like when you're saying like oh there's a contrast there like when this pandemic happened there's like these amazing photos of the Himalayas that haven't been seen for 30 years um, 
<clears throat> and what that means. And some some people or some groups are saying like, well, it's because human beings are a virus or, you know, this human beings need to be taken off the planet Earth because we're, we're killing the planet. And um, I think this is a really dangerous message to send out to um, people out in the community. Uh, more often than not, it's um, minorities and communities of color. Uh, if anything were to, if that message were to be amplified, would be the first to suffer. And we, um, of course, we don't want anybody to suffer or be targeted. <laughs> but um, that's very, it's a very dangerous path to go down to um, say that human, human beings are a virus and that we need to be eliminated off the planet in order to save the planet. But from my studies that I've done, I've uh, come to understand also from uh, growing up around um, indigenous tribes my, during my life. Um, and now it's just people are paying more attention to indigenous teach, teachings and how to um, have a, a relationship with nature that isn't so toxic and, and abusive. And now they're coming out, uh, scientists, Western scientists are, are joining indigenous scientists uh, with uh, this knowledge that humans have a symbiotic relationship with nature. So they've done all these studies that they've removed humans from nature completely. You know, there's like these sections on, in, in, on earth that are no humans allowed. And what they're finding is that there's an imbalance there too. And so uh, what indigenous people have been teaching for eons is that humans and nature rely on each other. Mm -hmm. And so when there's that um, uh, a balance there, then uh, things go well. So removing, my point is that removing humans from nature isn't exactly uh, going to give us or give us the goal that we're looking for as well. So um yeah just um i've i feel that the more that we look into um indigenous teachings and tribe tribal life <laughs> perhaps and community uh will um be one of the major uh contributors to building a healthier future for our our children well, I think and i'll leave it at that okay so. thank you very much you know, I think it's important in what you said, Misty, that we are all part of, we can all choose to be a part of, with the right working knowledge, part of this grand ecosystem of life and how we protect it and preserve it and care for it. Uh, going back to what you were saying, Merlin, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I remember uh, the pollution of the, of the early 70s. I remember the rapid, rampant pollution of the early 70s prior to the EPA being approved. Uh, I thought uh, a couple of things with regards to vehicles. Uh, I was just assuming that with improved gas mileages, smaller engines, that there was a lot of positive ground being made in regards to the amount or types of pollutants from vehicles that were being um, released. And with the increase of fossil fuels and home heating equipment, 
whether it's natural gas or oil or propane, and I, I know wood stoves have increased in efficiency as well, uh, that that was very, that has become a positive uh, part of how we use those kinds of systems, uh, as well as the, when Clinton, when president, when Clinton was president, and I remember his move towards more efficiency in the heating and ventilation cooling industry as well was very positive. The types of Freon, the, the SEER ratings, the requirement ratings that were, uh, that have made a massive impact in the industry as it stands today, which I think is also very good. So just with listening to you, Merlin, it, it's, it opened my mind to this, this entire scope of response mechanism that we've seen being developed, but also there's so much more that we didn't, we don't know, we didn't know, we don't understand. And the whole purpose of this conversation today is help us to know more, understand more, and what are some of the legitimate possibilities we can have to maintain some of this positive movement towards a healthier uh, uh, environment. Well, there, there has been tremendous progress. And when you look at, you know, uh, every year EPA will put out a, a progress report and uh, some of the trends uh, are interesting to compare there. Uh, uh, pollution has imp uh, improved, has decreased. Uh, great, uh, the uh, gross uh, domestic product has, has uh, increased faster than population growth. Mm. Um, so uh, the economy has grown and uh, pollution has been reduced at the same time. So, you know, when people say that you can't have both uh, uh, with uh, technological advances and basic uh, fundamental commitments to cleaner air, uh, we have seen progress even while the economy has continued to grow at a healthy rate. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing about uh, automobiles, they are a new car today is uh, 90 some percent cleaner than it was back in uh, the 60s. So there's no question that those uh, uh, pollution controls and cleaner fuels have made a big difference. What uh, one, one difference between gasoline vehicles and electric vehicles though, is that uh, gasoline vehicles will get dirtier uh, as they get older. You know, they require maintenance. They, uh, the, uh, uh, the cars don't do as good a job uh, keeping emissions down over time. Uh, they're still still much cleaner than you know the counterpart aged vehicle back in the 1960s. But that's one thing is uh, uh, they do deteriorate over time. Electric cars, on the other hand, um, actually get cleaner over time, and the reason is is because there, there's not just the zero emissions from the vehicle itself, but there's also the uh, electrical generation uh, providing that. And uh, if you look at the national trends of emissions from power plants, those have been going down steadily, uh, uh, transition from uh, coal to natural gas, uh, much cleaner natural gas compared to the coal emissions, uh, or additional controls have been uh, put on as well. So the electricity providing the energy for those cars is actually going down over time. So some people like to uh, have there's have the simple solution for a better future is electrify everything 
and that's not just cars, but that's also getting out to where it's trucks. It's also lawnmowers. It's also lawn, lawn uh, equipment. Uh, electrify everything and clean up the grid that's providing the electricity. And if we do both of those things, that will help ensure that we continue to have a, a cleaner, uh, a better, more livable future. Is that realistic? Uh, you know, just from a consumer standpoint, I don't know much about the industry. So, I mean, I know that we already have ele electric weed eaters. We do have electric cars. We have electric uh, lawnmowers. Uh, I don't know if we have any electric buses yet here locally. I know some. Uh, yes, yes, we do. Uh, local bu electric buses. Um, is that uh, is that realistic? I mean, it just seems like a big massive required development and do we have to develop our mindset as a nation before before we do it or develop it in your estimation as we go along and do both simultaneously well just uh, just since uh, 2010 or so when we've had uh, commercially available electric cars. Let me talk about some of the changes there. Okay. There have been dramatic uh, changes in the cost of batteries uh, over that period of time. The lithium ion is kind of the current state of the art, but there's even newer technologies that are uh, uh, being um, uh, rapidly pursued. But back in 2010, a typical car might get 80 miles of range on an electric charge, 80 to 100 miles. Now it's it's uh, not uncommon to get over 300 miles of range. Part of that is the affordability of the battery. Uh, part of that is increased density of the battery. Um, so uh, the technology is making uh, it feasible for many more people to uh, to travel with electric cars. There's now a supercharger network across the US where you can take alternate routes across the country and go from one supercharger to another, recharge for 20 minutes, grab a cup of coffee, use the restroom and be off again. Um, the other thing is the cost. Um, now, electric cars are still more expensive on the front end, but if you look at, at the five-year cost of ownership, like uh, the, uh, the, the basic, uh, Tesla Model 3, for example, compare that to the best-selling sedans right now. And uh, it would be like a Camry, Toyota Camry, or a, a Honda Accord. Mm -hmm. If you compare the five-year costs of ownership, uh, the Tesla Model 3 wins. It's got a front-end cost, a little bit higher, but when you look at the fuel cost, uh, electricity is like, you know, we're, we're seeing some gas stations uh, in in the Midwest right now, getting down to a dollar a gallon. Well, that's that's what electric has been and will be in the future is about a dollar a gallon equivalent, even when gasoline prices go back up to $3 a gallon. Um, so that and lower maintenance on the electric vehicles, all you have to do is look at that five years and, and they're breaking even now. As uh, developments continue to occur, electric cars are gonna be cheaper. Now that's for people that can, uh, uh, afford to buy a new car. Now, um, there's a lot of new cars sold. Uh, I didn't buy my new car until 2013, and uh, we were celebrating our, our 37th wedding anniversary when we bought our first new car. Used Toyotas had served as well. But uh, since that time, it's uh, dramatic just how much more affordable uh, electric vehicles uh, are. Uh, 
we have a lawnmower. We've had it probably, it's a Ego that we got from Home Depot about three years ago. And it is such a delight to use. It's a little bit more uh, to buy on the front end, but uh, I haven't had to buy uh, gasoline. I haven't had to uh, um, change the oil on that. Uh, and it's been uh, remarkably trouble-free for about three years now. Mm -hmm. And um, it's battery battery operated just to charge it in but up between mowings and it's uh so i i think we're there we're uh, we're if we're not there now we're we're so rapidly getting there that when we had a conversation a year from now we'd be able to say hey we've arrived very good misty what did you learn in your training at the climate reality about the issues that we're talking about now about uh, regarding changing over from fossil fuels to a more electrically driven modems of transportation and service? Well, uh, Mr. Gore uh, and his team did focus on on converting to, uh, you know, cleaner modes of transportation, cleaner energy, basically. Um, but they really stress, like we as individuals, yes, we can buy electric cars and, you know, recycle and pass rules uh, reducing garbage waste. Like here in Eugene, we, we eliminated straws and plastic bags, um, but we're running out of time. And that's really the major issue um, right now is that, uh, climate change and um, is accelerating and getting more and more uh, dangerous and impactful on us every day uh, all over the world. And so um, our, our little individual actions are, are important and helpful, but uh, Mr. Gore strongly urges us to um, really pressure our elected officials and our politicians to get with it and to um, create laws and regulations that uh, protect human health and the health of the planet. Because ultimately, if we destroy the planet, then of course we're destroying ourselves. And so, um, but that's the, uh, the quickest way to change is to get our elected officials and politicians to get on board and um, make new regulations uh, to clean up uh, pollution and um, have companies clean up their pollution themselves. You know, oftentimes companies, they, they leave their garbage, they, they pollute the area after they're done extracting whatever that they have, ex they've extracted, they just leave um, their pollution and garbage in, in the area. I was in Alaska some years ago and there are, 100-year-old mining uh, equipment all scattered all over the state that had just been abandoned by big mining operations. Uh, that's just an example. But I mean, they, they've been doing this for a very long time. And so uh, requiring companies to clean up their garbage and or um, take care of their own waste. Imagine if we sent, uh, you know, companies their garbage back to them. Know, so have them deal with their own uh, their own plastic garbage. You know how quickly would they change if all of a sudden they had um, mountains of plastic garbage around their facilities? 
um, how quickly they would change to another, you know, biodegradable product. Mm -hmm. um, but those are just some things that we can do. I, I kind of like that kind of grassroots stuff, but really our elected officials, if they are allowed to, um, if we elect officials that are, uh, you know, green savvy and, and are aware of climate change issues and believe in it, believe in scientists mm -hmm. and science, that's very important, um, then they are likely to vote in favor of bills um, that support you know, climate issues. Uh, we've been fighting for our clean energy jobs bill like every every near yet every year now here in the state of Oregon and our the Republican Party had to abandon and flee the state. I mean that's how intense this issue is. Um, so but yeah that's really the number one thing is elect officials uh, right now as soon as possible. How about some ancillary questions for the both of you? Uh, Merlin, I'll go back to you first. So if someone gets a, a electric vehicle and they want to bring it home, what kind of preparations do they need to have in their home in order to have an electric vehicle, get it set up to be uh, recharged overnight in their home? What would that require? Do you know? Uh, yes, uh, from personal experience, uh, that first new car that we, uh, first new car ever we purchased was an electric car. We were just so impressed by the barriers they were overcoming that that's uh, um, what we, we chose to uh, do. I sometimes joke that it uh, delayed my retirement by, by doing so because, uh, especially back in 2013, the front end cost was uh, significantly more than a, than a gasoline vehicle. But uh, uh, the nice thing about electric vehicles is that uh, virtually every home in the United States is uh, uh, powered by electricity. Mm -hmm. And so uh, most uh, people uh, drive about, uh, it's about 40 miles or less on average that the average person does. You could actually plug your car into a 110 volt outlet in your garage and it would charge enough for your um, next day's driving. Now, if you uh, are, uh, want to be able to uh, prepare for longer trips, then um, what we did in our garage, we put a 240-volt uh, uh, RV plug. Uh, it's uh, similar to like a dryer, a dryer plug, but it's a uh, you know, standard place in the box uh, for uh, wiring it in. Um, I had uh, uh, my brother-in-law uh, helped me with it, so it was a couple hundred dollars of materials to run the, the conduit and the wiring and the new circuit breaker out to to the front of the garage um, and that will uh, uh, if you have a vehicle that say uh, will go 250 miles of range mm -hmm. and you come in empty at night uh, eight hours on that will be it will be full the next day so that's uh, that's what uh, uh, some of the electric vehicle owners, uh, vehicle uh, manufacturers recommend is that you uh, uh, do uh, uh, an RV plug, uh, 240 volt system. But let me say also, my uh, my brother-in-law who helped me with ours, uh, he's an electrician and uh, he, uh, uh, when he bought an electric car, uh, his wife was driving it round trip to, uh, uh, to U of O campus and um, 
he didn't feel the need to add a 240 volt plug. Uh, her driving was in that typical 40, 50 miles of range, even with errands. And so they just plug that in uh, at night. And, and uh, even though it would be easy and inexpensive with his skills to do it, he never felt the need to do anything other than the 110 uh, wall outlet that was already there in the garage. What is the average life of the batteries in these electric vehicles? And if they die, what's the disposal uh, recommendation? Well, on our car, our 2013 car, uh, we've got about 130,000 miles on it in that uh, seven, seven or so years, seven or eight years now. And um, it's, it's uh, degraded about 10% uh, over that time period. Um, the, uh, I, I expect by the time we need to recycle that battery, it, it may have a second life. One, one thing that uh, people are, uh, that's probably not ideal for, for car. Oh, you're breaking but that up. that may be uh, great for a home to give you, uh, that, that may be uh, great for your home to uh, uh, take you through a power outage where you can go down to just the essentials for a few days and get through a, a power outage. Or if you have a, a, a solar panels on your roof, that may be something that would provide the storage to allow um, uh, best optimum use of your solar system. But I expect that uh, battery recycling uh, will be well advanced by that time. Uh, one thing that uh, it's important to recognize is that the uh, batteries, uh, starting batteries in cars now, the uh, lead acid batteries, that's probably the most recycled material of any. It's uh, 90 some percent of lead acid batteries get uh, recycled so you don't have um, the uh, emissions related to producing that uh, lead and the acids uh, again. So. Uh, Primarily the lead would be the concern, but that's a fairly high percentage uh, recycled. I would expect uh, electric vehicle batteries to uh, approach uh, 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 very similar numbers uh, when, the when the time comes. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'd like to say that regarding, uh, Misty, you used a, a term early, earlier, green technology. And I know that the building trades, the Home Builders Association has a lot of builders, commercial and residential, who have moved towards green technology resources, uh, green built homes, um, a lot of different, you know, with HVAC and vehicles. It, you used uh, the term, Misty, we're running out of time. If there is no, I know there's been this proposal of the new Green Deal. Green Deal, excuse me. Um, sorry, it's kind of that old Texas accent kind of came out of me. But <laughs> uh, you know, by 2050, they wanted all fossil fuels uh, to no longer be part of the the usage mechanism. Is that correct? If that's it, let's just let's cut, let's talk about that in two ways. One, if that doesn't happen, have we made enough progress? And on is there enough development going on within the fossil fuel industry? Uh, let me say that, change that. The technology and how we use fossil fuels, 
whether in HVAC or vehicles, efficiency ratings keep going up. They're pretty good ratings these days, and furnaces, you name it. If we don't get to the 20, if that's not approved, if the government says, no, that's unrealistic, and we stay improving the technologies of fossil fuels, uh, does that, from this, from you know the the opinion of the science on that side is 2050 too late? Will we implode, even if we're making all of these ad continued advancements? And or if it is approved and we get to 2050 and it's approved, how would we fly? What about boats? What about planes? What about all the fossil fuel driven? transportation systems now, how do we recycle those? What, what would happen? Just out of curiosity, because I don't know. Oh, I mean, uh, I think nobody really knows uh, what's what's going to happen. I mean, they said we had a lot more time. Uh, just five, ten years ago, they said we had more time to deal with this issue. And, and all of a sudden, now we have ten years. And now we have... Uh, you know, it's always changing. Um, but what we do know is that climate is getting uh, worse and that human human beings have had a major impact. And um, the science has shown that uh, carbon emissions is part of the reason mm -hmm. uh, for the big change. And so obviously reducing um, carbon is the, is the goal, right? That just natural uh, go to how to fix the problem. But really the problem is, uh, you know, capital capitalism and the whole idea of constantly having to grow in order for um, there to be pos a positive effect, you know, like the whole idea that we have to consume more uh, in order for the economy to be healthy or for us as a whole society to be healthy is to consume more capital, you know, more capital, more growth. Um, and so when you're talking about like um, switching over to electric vehicles, we have to still keep in mind that even though uh, the batteries could be recycled, et cetera, we are still mining for all of those materials. We're still um, abstracting materials um, to to obtain uh, those cars, regardless if they're cleaner or not. Um, so the the uh, hopefully the goal I think and the vision for the future is to um, reduce the amount of consumption on a just generally overall and um, to guess recycle what we've used so far, but just generally abstract less from from the planet, drill less, mine less for those uh, basic components that we use every day uh, that are rather uh, detrimental and toxic um, way of extracting materials, et cetera. Um, but yes, uh, one of the things that I've been learning in school um, and that has, have, has actively been talked about in cities across Oregon and the, and the United States are, are reducing uh, traffic, uh, reducing, helping people get out of their cars and use public transportation. And 
uh, stop building like um, suburban communities and instead build smart cities. So instead of having the say low wage workers that make $15 an hour working for Starbucks, they can't necessarily pay uh, you know, a rent that's $12,000 a month, but they have to travel like two hours to get to that job at the Starbucks, you know. So the idea is to build communities that have integrated uh, housing so people have to travel less to get to where they need to go, um, which means less cars on the road, less traffic, less congestion. Um, so that, that's really what the future is looking like. Uh, we've hit quite a bit of speed bumps along the, ro the road. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen that uh, Portland had those scooters uh, that they, they've been trying to implement and uh, some people were throwing them in the river uh, because basically they didn't like that they had pedestrians had to share the, the uh, walkway um, the sidewalk with the people that were on the scooters, but the people on the scooters need a place to ride their scooters because the, obviously the road is not a safe place. They don't feel safe on the actual road. And so we lack the infrastructure and that's where we come into like building our smart cities. If we're going to want people to get out of their cars and use alternative transportations, then we need to build the, the infrastructure to um, allow that to happen. Okay. Merlin, so smart cities in the future, hopefully. <laughs> Merlin, did you want to add to that? Well, yeah, I, I would agree with Misty that ideally, you know, with uh, you know, better uh, planning and, and some of these uh, behavior changes, more biking, more walking, more transit use, that we're going to have more livable uh, communities, smarter cities. Um, uh, but but uh, I may be putting too much um, uh, emphasis on the technology, but there's there's a number of things that I consider um, uh, good news on that front. In fact, I got, I got kind of a closing a good news, bad news story, Mark, if uh, if I could, um, on the um, the, the uh, on the um, uh, elected officials front, uh, you know, I think Misty and I share a lot of concerns there that uh, it's important that people be making wise decisions where they're looking at all the costs involved, not just the immediate or not just the internal costs, but uh, that the elected officials are making wise decisions. So part of the bad news for me this past few years has been the rollback on two key fronts. Uh, you know, cleaner transportation is important and cleaner power plants uh, is important. Uh, uh, power plants, uh, coal burning, uh, primarily, you know, Midwest, East Coast, we're not as affected directly by that, although we, uh, I think we still currently get some of our electricity from uh, coal burning and uh, uh, coal from uh, Utah, Wyoming, those areas. But um, the two bad news things for me are the rollback on clean car standards that's just happened here recently. You know, we were projected to get uh, even though we've made the dramatic improvements we have already, another 5% a year on average is what we were expecting to get from those, those programs. And now it was, uh, was going to be zero. It looks like it might be 1% in the final 
final version. That's a setback. That's the bad news. On the, on the clean power plan, there was a blueprint for how to systematically reduce emissions from power generation across the country, and that has been pushed back. It's called now the uh, affordable uh, clean energy, but it really is not as uh, effective as uh, it would be. Those are the two bad things, and I think Misty and I would uh, share concerns on both of those fronts. But the good news is uh, electric vehicles, the uh, advancements there, uh, specifically the battery technology, cost coming down, the density going up of the energy those batteries contain, the uh, ductless heat pumps, just you know, several years ago, that wasn't very practical, but now that uh, uh, for communities impacted by wood stove emissions like Oak Ridge or Eugene Springfield, those are a very cost-effective way to uh, maybe not eliminate the wood use in a home, but certainly dramatically reduce it to just the few coldest days. And um, the other front is uh, low-cost uh, consumer sensors. Um, now, uh, you, know, you know, the federal reference method stations we have, we're, we're proud that we've got seven, which is probably about seven times as many as a comparable area like Salem would have. Uh, but those seven uh, stations, you know, the, the instruments there cost uh, tens of thousands of dollars. Now there are units available for about $250. And we have uh, deployed a number of those at schools and residences throughout our area. So those seven, we first started by co-locating so we could compare them to our, our, uh, our federal reference method stations. But now we've got 40 or more that are spread out there. Most of them were ones we helped with, but individual, uh, residents have also invested in those. And uh, when you have wildfire impacts like we had in 2017, you know, people really want to know what's the air quality right now? What precautions do I need to take? Is it better to be inside or outside? And I think these low cost sensors are going to be um, a, a tremendous tool for everyone to, to better understand uh, uh, what's happening and what they can do. Well, you just mentioned something that I wanted to talk a little bit more that also Misty mentioned. You know, part of the arguments are, Misty mentioned, you're mining for that technology, you're mining the earth to create these electric vehicles. And so some say that, well, that's just as destructive as making a fossil fuel vehicle. I don't know. I'm just, those are just some of the... Um, Check this real quick. Let me check my internet. Oops, I'm. Can you hear me? Please re restate your your question again. Yeah, sorry, I'm just checking my internet connection. I was trying to say that um, you mentioned having to mine for the vehicles to create them, and I know that uh, uh, some people say, "Well, that's just as uh, toxic to the earth. That's just as damaging to the earth." Uh, that's just as damaging to um, long term, and then there's the the um, you know this low cost. I'm sorry, I lost my thought there. But you know, this is the deal. We know pollution was rampant in this country. I, I can't speak for all the rest of the world how bad it, it was in other societies, but we know it was bad. We know that before the EPA, pollution was out of control. And we know that with the uh, addition of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, the federal government, a lot of that changed. 
And I do believe, I for one believe that because I've seen, especially in the HVAC uh, field, heat and ventilation and cooling field, uh, the building trades are moving towards more and more green technologies, efficiency of fossil fuel burning. I felt like we were making some decent progress and some good progress, honestly. And I felt like with the increase of mile per gallon in vehicles, that that meant those little motors, the engines were becoming more and more efficient. And then in the midst of this pandemic, all these photos coming in from all over the world of what clean air really looks like over some of the most polluted areas that were created, whether it's because of the amount of population, whatever those contributing factors were, it really uh, caught not just my attention, but I had to stop and think, Misty, what, like you said earlier, you, the world we're leaving behind, the world we're gifting to the next generation, what are we gifting to society long-term? And that's when it, I realized we, we better continue to be as proactive as possible to, to make this kind of difference. If everything goes electric, I, I agree, Mr. You're right, nobody knows. What does that mean to our supply chains? How do we get food from here to there, resources from here to there? Uh, do, does that mean flying is eliminated? Does that mean uh, waterways are no longer utilized to move things around the earth? I, I, I'm sure that all those are really big questions that will get figured out along the way. But um, I, I think we're really onto something as a, a world community and a world society and that we have, again, and I just want to say, I'm not anti-fossil fuel. I thought we were making really good progress until I saw all these pictures of our world system cleaning up. And then it made me realize that I think we're still doing something really wrong or, or areas that we can really, really improve in. And so, um, you know, there's just so many things that are, that can be argued. There are so many things that um, can be disputed, but what cannot be argued against and what cannot be disputed against is what we're seeing in the midst of this pandemic in the natural balance of, of our societies and nature being restored because of the lack of emissions. And that is really why I wanted to speak with the both of you today and I wanted other people to to really consider as we move forward to be stewards of the earth and move forward to be stewards of our society that um, can we really in good conscience go back to the massive consumption and consumerism that was destroying everything in the first place. I know I'm kind of on a soapbox there, but that's how this, what we're seeing in the world has been reshaping my mindset. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, and it's easy. It's kind of uh, liberating to get on the soapbox a little bit and uh, voice our concerns, um, especially about what we've all been seeing happen around us. Uh, I've definitely noticed more people walking instead and riding bikes mm -hmm. um, instead of driving. And I I've been telling folks like pay attention. Uh, to uh, the fact that we can survive without our, our cars and we are able to uh, walk and ride our bikes and, and still live life in a generally, you know, pleasant 
comfortable state. And um, so, and what you were saying about, oh, now I lost my track. But um, yes, the impact of really uh, capitalism and, and then now like globalization and how our world has become somewhat smaller uh, by allowing um, this, uh, with our economy, having a globalized economy, allowing our big industries here in the US um, with these free trade agreements in the past, maybe future free trade agreements will take these things into consideration, but in the past have allowed uh, companies to move into other countries where they don't have uh, strict regulations and rules and, and human health concerns. Um, and so, yeah, we, we see less of that here in the States, um, but other countries, the global South uh, are, are, are uh, not doing so well for, mm -hmm. for example. And so we're seeing these pictures of, oh, the Himalayas, like in India, it's, it's very, um, polluted area of the world and a lot of those companies are um, either from China um, or the US, you know, global superpowers coming into uh, their countries with their, com with their um, pollution. Um, one thing I also wanted to add is that when we are upgrading our systems and we're voting in new regulations and uh, to not forget to always in, understand that uh, there are winners and losers with the, any big change, right? Or any big regulation or rule, there's, there's uh, winners and losers. Um, and so we always, uh, Mark, I know you are a leader in the community and, and uh, to always remember that usually the losers and any new big change are low-income communities of color and indigenous uh, people. So if we say we start reducing, uh, for example, here in Eugene, they've stopped. They've started reducing the amount of uh, parking spaces, and/or um, you have to pay for parking. Well, anyone that's low-income um, that needs a car, who perhaps lives way out of town because they can't pay for the very expensive rent. They have to drive into town, and then they have to pay twelve dollars, you know, to park a day, um, and they have probably kids that they have to drop off at school too. So when we are, so basically, the 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 idea is to reduce the amount of um, parking spaces, so people will be forced into uh, getting out of their cars and using buses, but. Um, it's very, it's more nuanced than that. And um, people of low income generally are impacted the harshest um, with these new rules. And so keep that in mind when we're um, putting together our smart cities that um, we have to uh, take all people into consideration and make sure everyone has a way to, that it doesn't impact the lowest uh, low-income people and working-class folks the most. Mm -hmm. I think that we would have more success in implementing um, 
changes like this if we had those safeguards in place and made them known that they were also not left behind in the dust to bear the grunt of, of the big changes. Yeah, I think that's legitimate, Misty. People struggling to afford rents and struggling to afford a vehicle payment and struggling to afford parking and insurance and all of those things. It can be quite the demand. So thank you for, for mentioning that. Uh, Merlin, anything uh, you wanted to add about some of my comments? I know they were kind of broad. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to recognize there's been tremendous progress, especially here in the U.S., but there's also uh, much more room for improvement. The job isn't done. So I think um, some of the more dramatic illustrations of what you were commenting on were India, uh, China, uh, views of the Himalayas, for example. Um, I think uh, uh, that illustrates the progress we've made in the US. But even when you look at LA, when you shut down most of the vehicle traffic, you see that there's tremendous room for improvement. Those are probably the cleanest cars in, even in the US because of the pressures in California for many years. Mm -hmm. And yet there's still much room for uh, improvement even in Los Angeles. Yeah, I didn't even consider that till you said that they do have some of the most restrictive, for good reason, the most restrictive laws around emissions because of the density and the, the amount of the population. and and to, to consider that there's still that much pollution and even seeing pictures of the river walk in downtown, downtown San Antonio and to see the water cleared up and it's blue and it was just it's just been really um, really made me question you know how well we're taking care of you know not just uh, ourselves but our, our, our nature the, the society of nature this ecosystem that we all belong to we may not always want to consider that, but it is a massive responsibility. And we're gonna, you know, there's a next generation behind us that's gonna be counting on us to make good decisions. Uh, so with that said, uh, Merlin, before we go, any final comments that you'd like to make to the public about, um, you know, what are some of the considerations that we should be thinking about as citizens in our local communities about pollution or, or any of those other areas of efficiencies? Well, I would reinforce some of the things Misty has said that each of us individually, there are a lot of things we can do in our daily choices, doing, uh, you know, if walking and biking or transit or choices, if our home, uh, we can operate our home cleaner, that, um, you know, there's a lot that we can we can do, but then also uh, uh, voting for, for people that will make this a, uh, uh, more livable community. Uh, those are also things that uh, are are important. Very good. And Misty, any final words you'd like to say to the community at large about our need to make sure we're being good stewards of, of our climate and our nature? Uh, yeah, uh, just one last thing. Um, as a community organizer and, and, and mother, uh, one of the major issues that sometimes isn't talked about as it's, it's uh, it's not very sexy, um, but there is a lot of despair around the issue of climate change. And I think um, a lot of people are heartbroken and there's not a lot of, you know, areas where we can really talk about how heavy and you know, devastating this feeling is for, for a lot of people. Um, so really, uh, being there for each other, 
especially during this time, and we've all like learned like during this pandemic, uh, realize how important um, our community, our families, our, our friends are to each other, and um, you know, and how much we. Are. I've seen people like are kinder to each other too during this time. Um, it's really it's really heartwarming, and so the message of hope um, is very important and not to lose hope i think is vital during this time and to not not stay just stagnant and and stuck in this feeling of hopelessness and fear and that knowing that we can make a, a big impact on our on our current situation and our future uh situation um, by coming together and um, supporting one another i think is is very important and also i just want to also just uh you know we have made big changes um but those big changes have happened through uh regulations um big my big companies aren't going to change just on their own they're having a good time making lots of profit and uh they're probably not going to change just on their own. They have to be forced to. And uh, we do that through um, rules and regulations. And for example, the ozone layer, the ozone hole has shrunk. And that's due be to re uh, regulations that reduced um, chemicals uh, and spray cans, et cetera, the CFC chemicals. And so we know that uh, we can make a positive impact on our earth if we um, reduce some activities. <laughs> and we could do that by, you know, supporting each other and um, you know, caring for one another. Very good. You know, we just celebrated Earth Day. I'm just going to make a statement here. We just celebrated Earth Day. And I think that we all like to go out and go for walks and people like to go camping and fishing and People like to enjoy nature and more so now than ever, I think people are really beginning to understand the importance of that. And because of, because of what we're seeing, I think we need to start having really important conversations with one another as to why we need to change, why things can't necessarily go back to the way they were in every area or every way, and what are some of the positive, outcome, positive outcomes we can continue to build upon to make our communities, our societies, and even the world ecosystem, and that's what it is with the global community, is the world ecosystem, a much better place to live. And you know, for those that might watch us later, they might have big questions about manufacturing or many of those other, other things. No answers here, we're not, I didn't ask the two of you to come on here to address these really big problems, but Jess, I wanted both of you to bring your expertise and your awareness uh, to how we can continue to improve and acknowledge some of those improvements, but also how we can be better. So in this interview, we've had again Merlin Howe, Director of Lane Regional Air Protection Agency and Misty Frost, community organizer, activist, and mom in, the, in working with the arena of air pollution and climate change. I want to thank you both for your willingness to speak with me on this issue today and for your willingness uh, to share your insights and your knowledge and it's they're both legitimate in both cases and if you have any other if anyone that's viewing these has any other questions for either one of them you can reach merlin at uh, 
El Rapa, and you can uh, reach out to Misty. Misty, is, if someone wants to talk about getting involved with your with what you're doing, how can they do that? Well, they could uh, shoot you a message, <laughs> and you can forward the their question to me, uh, or my email address is mistyfrost2030 at Gmail. Very good. And so, Marilyn, we have your information as well. If anyone has any questions, we can uh, uh, forward that to you at El Rapa. Thank you very much for your time, and I hope all of you have, uh, both of you have a very good day and a good week. Thank you, Mark, thanks, for Mark. having us. This was great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Bye. Bye-bye.